You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Good day, good day. Welcome, welcome. It's Jamie McDowell, and I'm your host on Pets Mean Business on Pet Life Radio Network, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys today. Hope that you're getting a lot out of the show. If you have any questions, if you have anything that you want to ask questions in general or any comments that you want to make or if there's anything that you need in relationship to the pet industry and building a career or changing jobs or building a business, please, by all means, always be always feel free to reach out to me, Jamie, at PetLifeRadio.com. In the meantime, let's talk about the show. Now, if you've been listening, then you already know what the show's about. It's about people and pets and how they intersect in the world of business because this pet industry that I've been in for 20 years is massively growing, massively growing to the tune of, at the end of this year, we're looking at an excess of a $60 billion industry industry, billion, B, billion. And, you know, as I always say, that number doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from people, people's passion for pets, people's ideas around innovation for pets. There's just a million ways. Okay, how about a billion ways? In fact, 60 billion ways that people are making an impact in pets' lives and also making a living doing so. And that's the whole point behind this show is what is that intersection? Who are these people behind the dollars? How are they doing things? How are they taking their passion and turning that into a profession? And uh, Pets Mean Business is aptly named because it really is about pets and business. And so we are always really, we have awesome guests on the show, if I must say so myself. They're awesome. They're like these incredible entrepreneurs and innovators and uh, animal welfare professionals. I mean, they're just doing uh, mind-bogglingly mind-boggling mind-boggling work every day and it's cool and I love that I get to talk to them and I love that you get to hear them and I love that this is just the opportunity that this show gives a platform for that that people can talk about how it is to build a business in an area of passion so today is no different we've had you know like I said we've had so many different kind of folks on the show we've had a couple of authors and today is another author and this author is exciting because I actually met her at a conference a couple of months ago she's so she's a beautiful person really she's a she's a beautiful person. You know, there's people who are very pretty on the outside and then then you realize that their beauty isn't just because of how pretty they are, but also because they are just so shining and glowing and authentic on the inside. And I would say that Jessica, my guest today, is that person. So let's talk about my guest. And then after I talk about her, we'll take a break and then we'll introduce her and we'll start our conversation. So my, my guest today is Jessica Vogelthing. She is a veterinarian and she is a certified veterinary journalist as well. And she also is a practicing small animal veterinarian. What makes Jessica cool is she's also a certified pet loss bereavement counselor and then through her company which is called Pause into Grace she supports families and pets throughout all aspects of the end of life process meaning the euthanasia process. If you've ever had a dog um, or a pet that you've had to make that decision around you know how important it is to feel supported by your veterinary professional and that community um, as you go through that very heart-wrenching process. And so Jessica, Dr. Vogelsang's entire business is, is around supporting people in that moment. She also has an incredible website called Called Paw Curious. And Paw Curious uh, is a place where you can go to get some accessible, very trustworthy information. And she gives that information. So she disseminates that information to pet lovers as well as um, the veterinary community and other pet industry communities. So she's touching kind of all aspects of the pet industry, which is, I think, what I really am drawn to her because I like that she's just not in the veterinary space. 
But she also finds a way to bridge, you know, the vet stuff right with the pet people stuff and just makes it all, again, very accessible. So she just wrote her first book. Her debut memoir is called All Dogs Go to Kevin. All Dogs Go to Kevin. It was published in July of this year, 2015, and it's gotten incredible reviews. And I'm thrilled to have her on Pets Mean Business. So after the break, we'll bring Jessica on and uh, you'll see what I mean when I say that this person is incredible. So on that note, go pet your dog or enter something into QuickBooks, or maybe the combination of both because, you know, pets mean business. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hey guys, welcome back from the break. As I said at the introduction, we have a wonderful and a very talented and beautiful person with us today at Pets Mean Business. I'd like to introduce officially and welcome Dr. Jessica Vogelsang. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Hey, do you want me to call you, what do you like people to call you in this kind of environment? Do you like Dr. Jessica, Jessica, Dr. Vogelsang? What do you prefer? Jessica or Dr. V, either one I'm perfectly fine with. Okay, I will go with, can I go with Jessica? Sure. I'm going to go Jessica. Just because we're hanging okay. out and talking, I think, you know, I think I'll, I'll go Jessica. I may throw a Dr. Like v in it. there. I might, I might throw a Dr. V in there at some point, but we'll start out with the intention of Jessica. When I introduced you, I obviously, there's so many things to talk about as it relates to you and your career and your perspective and approach around the work you do with people and pets and the veterinary community and the industry at large. There's just a lot of interplay and a lot of things going on. You've got a number of business endeavors. You have Paw Curious, you have your um, in-home euthanasia business, and you have, of course, now um, All Dogs Go to Kevin, the book. So, and, I, and I'm, sure I'm, I'm sure there are many other things as well. I know that you're a very dynamic and complex person. And I believe that you're also... You're <laughs> That's also, what my husband says. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's really, see, it's a true statement. And you're also, you're a mom, correct? Yes. Yes, you're a mom. Yes. And, um, and so you have, you have a lot going on. And yet, I think the thing that, when I met you, where did we meet? I think in Vegas. Yes. When I met you, the thing that really stood out to me more than anything, and I was, I was kind of nervous to meet you. I don't know why. I mean, I, I know why. Aww. Because you're really an impressive person. You're a very impressive, very inspirational person. And I, you know, was nervous. And what really struck me is that you are incredibly authentic. And authenticity is such a core value for most people. And, and I think people really work hard to try to stay and be authentic and stay in that place. But my experience with you is that that comes very naturally to you and that you have found a career that you can just be yourself in. Is that, am I, what do you think about that when you hear that? 
Yeah, well, one, thank you. I really appreciate that. That has been important to me for for my entire life. And I think particularly in veterinary medicine where you deal with maybe a lot of distrust in the community, um, people have perceptions about what vets are about and, and what our priorities are. And it's very, very important for me to sort of combat that with what I say and, and even more with my actions. And I, I always find it very ironic that you know, I have always made the choice between success and authenticity. I've always sort of played the long game and gone with authenticity, which is hard for maybe some people to understand. But thank you for recognizing that because it matters more than anything. You're welcome. Uh, can I ask you when you say you went with the long game and in terms of choosing authenticity over over what? What was the choice? You know, when I write, it's always been important to me on, on Pod Curious that I be honest and I sort of what I think is a nuanced, you know, exposure or discussion of topics. And so if we're talking about vaccines or nutrition, you know, I always give my honest opinion. And, and the honest opinion is sometimes boring when you say the answer depends, you know, there's right and wrong, there's different ways to do things. And that's not what really sells. And so I've always had people say, you know, your following could be so much bigger if you took a hard line and said, you know, vets want to throw you under the bus, vets are killing dogs, vaccines are killing, you need to do this, you need to do that. But that's not who I am, you know. And so when I talk about playing the long game, you know, I I think I could have really grown my blog, which was my initial priority when I started it in 2009, maybe much more quickly if I were controversial, but it would have been at the expense of the authenticity and it wasn't worth it to me. So I'm I'm glad I didn't make that choice. Thanks for describing that. Actually, that, that is a really nice way of saying that you're a real, that you're real and that, and that you put, (laughs) and then you put people, I mean, what you just described that so beautifully, you're very eloquent that you really do put people in pets first. So I guess, you know, when you think about putting people in pets first, and which clearly is your whole goal, professional goal. That's That seems very clear to me and I'm sure clear to all of your fans. How does that play out in the business of euthanasia? So it's... That's a big question, it, I know, Jess. I know. Right. No, no, it's fine. And, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, you know, because I think end-of-life decisions for your pets. I, I've come to the conclusion that it is sort of a a practice for the people in your life. You know, it, it's its own thing, but it's also a practice for, for these other decisions. And so you learn a lot from these experiences, but it also is sort of its own little experience in that we have this option of euthanasia, which in parts of the country we don't have for people. And so we are asking people to make this incredibly difficult, intimate, personal decision to decide the place and the time where their pet makes this transition. And it's incredibly hard for people. And, you know, we're asking them to take into account so many things with pets. It's not always just about the medical. You know, sometimes there are financial considerations where you have a pet that has terminal cancer and maybe there's an option for chemo, but it costs a grand. And so there's so many different things that come into play for people. And it really sort of starts this pinball machine in their head that they can carry forward for the rest of their lives with grief. And it's so frustrating to me when I hear these stories and I realize they're going to the vet clinic, and, you know, they have a two-minute discussion. It's a conversation that can only work if you have it much sooner than when most people start the discussion. And that's a real hard stepping point. Okay, so that's actually really interesting what you just said about when the discussions start taking place. I mean, people, you know, I have a friend who four days ago just adopted a puppy, right? 
and she did so i'm sure you hear these stories all the time so just bear with me for a moment she <laughs> she she lost her dog 2 weeks ago to liver cancer Aww. yeah i mean very sad he was 13 years old um and he it was a quick diagnosis and it was a very quick decline and and she did have op for in home euthanasia and uh, it was a according to her i wasn't there unfortunately but it was a very beautiful experience for what it was but i find it really interesting because there's this starkness to her watching what she has just gone through in the last 2 weeks she went from making the end of life decision for her dog and then brings this puppy home right this very young little hound puppy that she adopted from a local shelter here and it's funny because anyone that's like in the multiple pet world where you you lose one pet regardless of how that happens and then you go to your next pet it's like you just have like a memory erase and mm-hmm. and i find that and how do you so how do you support clients when like what am i trying to say i feel like when the decision or the the time period comes where someone has mm-hmm. to be thinking about this decision they've never thought of it before because they've lived their entire they've lived that entire pet's life out in almost oblivion and yeah. I say that in joyful oblivion. Don't, I'm not saying that in a right. negative way. And then all of a sudden, one day, they realize that this is happening. And like, I find that's not the same with people. Like, we know that there's a transitional point in people's lives where they get older or they get sick. Like, we kind of have the expectation of death. But I feel like with pets, yeah. that expectation of death is just complete. We are all in denial about it until the moment that it happens. Do you? Mm-hmm. What is that exactly? Well, and, and I really think a lot of it sort of comes from human culture as well. You know, it, back in the old days, you used to understand that end of life and death was was part of life. And you had family, you had community, you had spiritual counselors who helped you through that process. And here in the West, that's really kind of disappeared. And so your counselors are, are medical professionals and they have different goals. Their goal is to stop death. And so it's always kind of like a surprise for people, you know, and we're trying to get back to this understanding and discussion I mean, in the human world with, with hospice, but even that still kind of baby steps. And the veterinary world, it barely exists at all. And so what happens for people when they get this terminal diagnosis is the only person they know how to talk to for advice is their veterinarian. And it's the same thing where the vet doesn't want to offend them by saying, oh, we're going to give up. And, you know, There's nothing we can do. And so they keep trying things and keep offering things, even when they know that there's probably, you know, very little chance of a positive outcome. And for those people who are in this position where they're saying, well, you know, I kind of just would like to go into hospice care. They don't even know that that's an option. They don't know who to talk to. You know, it's kind of the options are either you treat your pet or you go home and leave them to die on their own. And so Mm. very lonely, very lonely for people and and it just breaks my heart. So is that how you got involved with doing the bereavement counseling through the Association of Pet Loss and Bereavement? What came first, the chicken or the egg? So were you doing, did you get um, involved with that organization because you had already begun the in-home euthanasia business or did you get involved with that and then start the business? Yeah. So I did emergency medicine for a while and it was just trauma, trauma, trauma for people. And when I sort of serendipitously started working on in-home euthanasia with a colleague of mine, when she came to my house to euthanize my dog, Kikoa, and I just totally, I I didn't know how to talk to my kids. And I'd been doing this, you know, for a living as a vet for, uh, you know, eight years. And I still didn't know what to say. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, 
at some point I should probably figure this out. <laughs> so that's when I I joined the APLB and, and got the the pet loss course and kind of went through it because I, I didn't even know, you know, what do we say when people come to us and they ask us for advice? What do I tell my kids? And we're like, I don't know, whatever you feel is right. And they're like, well, I don't know what's right. That's why I'm asking you. And it's sort of this circular discussion that goes on in vet clinics around the country. So now, now I know what to say. Now I have an answer. And people are just thirsty for that. They are desperate for a little bit of help and guidance. And so I feel it's very important to be able to offer that. So through the APLB, is that, am I saying that right? APLB? So yes. And there's different organizations out there. The Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement was started by Dr. Wallace Seif, who is a, um, I believe is a psychologist who has experience in bereavement, which he's extrapolated to the pet experience. Okay. And then I'm also a member of the International Association for Animal Hospice and Palliative Care, which, you know, they realized after they came up with the name that it is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> It's not a good acronym, but you know, they're just stuck with it now. And that is a group of veterinarians who do in-home hospice. And there's a real disconnect that they're trying to match between men counselors and veterinarians and, and trying to help each side understand where the other one's coming from. And it's a slow process, but we're getting there. So are you familiar then? So what I'm hearing you say then is that there is a need in the veterinary community um, in, in practice to have this kind of social work component to the work that you guys yes. do. And I actually, I want to talk about that more. Let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about that. And I want to pick your brain on something and just get deeper involved in this conversation because it's, it's sad, but it's amazing. And you're such a good person to be talking to. And I love this conversation. So, which I'm not, I'm not surprised. So Jessica, hold on for one second. We're going to take a break. You guys will be right back with this wonderful Dr. V. Talk to you soon. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Looking for the best advice on pet health, safety, and travel? Connect with the Pet Lady. Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady, will surely be in a city near you real soon. She will be spreading the good news for pets and pet lovers from tips on dog and cat care, pet industry trends, and the best events for you and your four-legged family members. Need a great gift idea or insights on the hottest pet gadgets? Simply follow the Pet Lady on Twitter at Pet Lady World. You can also learn more at the Pet Lady at thepetlady.net. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Okay, guys, we're back. 
I'm here with Dr. Jessica Vogelsang, otherwise known as Dr. V, or as I'm calling her today, Jessica. And uh, and if you've been listening, then you know that we're talking about some really intense stuff today. We're talking about um, the business of death. You know, this is a, a funny thing to say that out loud, and I don't think that was at all the intention of this episode. I just made that statement just now, but, you know, because this is Pets Mean Business, and we're talking about, you know, the industry at large and the different facets of the industry and how people make a living in the industry, this is a big part of it. This is a big part of it is you know dogs all dogs die and there is um there is a business attached to that and that um what dr vogel saying is put together and what she's talking about and beautifully is that if you're going to have that business then do it the best you can because that's the moment in people's lives that they'll remember the rest of their life and and to impact that moment in the most meaningful, positive, and uh, most educated way is is what I think you are. That's what your motivation. That's your focus, and that's what you're. It's really what you're striving to do, and you're doing it well. And it's beautiful. Uh, it's really it's really amazing. And I, by the way, I've, I've used every pet that I've had to euthanize. I've done it at home every time. And um, awesome. And, yeah, and I feel very. I mean, limit. you know, it's not awesome that you. <laughs> No, you see, that's a funny thing. It is awesome, right? I totally yeah. get why you said awesome. It's funny because I saw that you just did that. You're like, wait, I don't mean that your dog died. That was awesome. <laughs> of course, it's not awesome that my dog died. I mean, of course not. I know I know what you're saying, but it's funny because yeah. we do have to be careful when we talk about this stuff. But it is awesome. And I was lucky. I, I had, you know, in-home euthanasia is a fairly new phenomenon, as you very well know. I'm talking, it's silly. I'm even saying that to you because you're right there. But my mentor is a veterinarian. And so, and, and so she's been my mentor for 20 21 years. And so she, I was very lucky to have access to her, you know, 20 years ago when this was not something people did, was not commonplace. So I'm very, very familiar with and don't know any other way of of being with my pet at the end of their life. So I love that this is now something that is more commonplace. So we're talking before we went to break about kind of the marriage between veterinary medicine and social work. And you were talking about that you're seeing that kind of come together around around loss. What do you know about veterinary social work in general? You know, I, I know that one of the veterinary schools, I believe, is kind of started a program in, in that very, very recently in conjunction with the vet school. And I, I think that's a great idea. I mean, they're really, it seems clear to me, it seems obvious that the big specialty hospitals and the teaching hospitals would be the natural place for that sort of thing to start. You know, you have these people who are already very, very vested owners because they've gone to these facilities and they're probably really likely to be having a difficult time with with any losses that they're experiencing and there's nothing. So just taking social work and, and applying it to the specific issues of veterinary medicine is a great idea and I hope we see. But as far as I know, it's it's sort of like a baby program that's just being developed right now. So it's on the horizon. There is a woman here in Chicago. Do you know um, Kelly Ballantyne? I don't know if you know who she is, Dr. Kelly Ballantyne. She's a, she hasn't quite pressed her board yet, but she's a veterinarian here in Chicago, works in a behaviorally focused um, clinic here. And, and they brought on a, a woman that is a social worker and is helping people doing some veterinary Great. social work. But she's doing it around, well, this is the interesting thing. This is, and that's why I'm asking what your, what your knowledge is of and what your, what your opinion is. She's doing it around pet behavior problems. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Right. In fact, let me, I'll connect you with her because you actually, I can't believe I haven't thought about this before. You should know her. You, her name is Kristen Baller. She's the social worker that's working with Dr. Ballantyne around the behavior problems. And she runs some behavior problem support groups. 
for people wow. who have these. I mean, it's right. I know. In fact, she was a guest a few weeks ago. So when you get a chance, you should definitely listen to that podcast. And now I'm ha- either way, I'm going to make the introduction, of course. But I think that you'd really enjoy hearing what she had to say. But it's interesting because this is now. So this is now the second. You're the second guest that's been on our show that is really looking at pets and looking at at, at the owner piece more than the pet piece. Not that you're not looking at the pet piece, not more than, but in addition to, in a meaningful way, recognizing that that there's a need to support people when they're going through things with their pets beyond just the, beyond the obvious. Yeah, and the thing that's been really interesting to me is that now that we have these resources, right, we have all these great resources lined up and people don't want them, you know, because we've been so conditioned to think that, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just a pet, you need to go over it, that they don't even want to admit to themselves that they're going through this grief and so mm-hmm. offer people help and they say, no, we're fine. You know, and because they think that accepting that help means that there's something wrong with them, you know, and it's, and I kind of did the same thing myself. Like I wouldn't go to a support group as like weird people that are way too attached. And that's just, it's such a a sad misperception, you know, because there's a lot of help that, that can be offered. But that's sort of the other part of the puzzle is not only making it available, but hooking it up with the people that would benefit from it. So how do you reach veterans? So what's your work and what are you doing in terms of, you know, getting the word out to the veterinarians, getting the word out to the veterinary community that this is a thing? How do you do that? It's hard because we need to educate veterinarians who are primary source of referrals that the service exists and it's different from what they do in the clinic. Because a lot of vets will say, yeah, yeah, we offer hospice. And by that, they just mean we give some payments to the pet, which may Mm -hmm. or may not be adequate. You know, it's extremely time and labor intensive to do a hospice program. And there is a medical and sort of a emotional, spiritual aspect. And so we'll do the first part with varying degrees of success and very few touch on on the second part at all because I don't have time. So it's really a matter of just getting out in front of other veterinarians and letting them know that the service even exists so that they'll keep it in mind because they know when they run into those clients who just really, you know, need a lot of, of guidance that they may or may not have the time or knowledge to handle to feel comfortable handing them off to us and knowing that that they're in good hands and that we can manage it well. So I would say our referrals from clients are kind of 50-50 from the clients themselves or the veterinarians. And so it would be nice for more vets to kind of know that what we do is so much more than just the in-home euthanasia, which is also a great experience. But the hospice is a much more involved process. Such cool stuff. I mean, you're really doing amazing stuff. So here's the question. When you're at a cocktail party (laughs) and no one knows anything about you and you're just, you know, you're at a completely different, you know, very unique setting and you're being a veterinarian has zero to do with why you're there. And people say, hey, you know, nice to meet you. So what do you do for a living? What do you say? What's your elevator pitch? Yeah, you know, I honestly, I just start off with saying I'm a veterinarian because it really freaks people out if you just jump right on in. <laughs> and say I'm an end of life, uh, I use a nice pet for a living. Like they just don't know how to process that. So I, I need to give them a minute to process me and to know that I'm not a scary person. And then they'll follow up and say, oh, where's your practice? What do you do? And then I say, oh, you know, I do end of life care. And then there's this long pause mm-hmm. and the mood gets dark in the room. And they're like, wow. <gasps> That's so sad, you know, and it's just like this great, and that's because that's how we deal about death. Like it's always 
appall and it's awful Mm -hmm. and you know and I say well you know it's actually it's like great it's like what an incredible honor like we go we have these parties and we honor the life we blow bubbles and then it's just sort of this you know record screech you know that sound effect we're like what you know it's it's okay to smile and it's just a different mindset so I have to be careful I'm actually I'm giving a talk I'm giving a talk to a group of of pet sitters next week about helping people with this process and the initial, I think, title of the talk was Pet Bereavement for Clients and Caregivers. I'm like, that is, that's so setting the wrong tone. So I'm like, can we rename this? I'm like, how to be a good death fairy. Like, that just is a little uh-huh. bit more than I do. So, <laughs> so, so if I could tell people I'm a death fairy, then that would be okay. I can picture, I just got this image in my head of your cape with the DF on it. <laughs> yes. Like a black cape. Yes. So let me ask yeah, exactly. How do you take care of yourself? I mean, you, you're seeing people in some cases on the worst day of their life. And listen, you absorb that somehow, some way that's getting into your psyche, that's getting into your spirit. What do you do for yourself? I know it's a personal and, question, but I want to know. Well, no, and I think it's really important because it's a very, very easy people in the pet industry are so much more prone to compassion fatigue to begin with just because of who we are and what drives us. And so I never would have been able to get into this if I hadn't have already sort of hit burnout with regular practice. And the whole idea of setting limits is absolutely positively 100% vital. This is work that I do and I love, but I know when to turn it off. And you really have to make a conscious decision to do that. I know how many days a week I can handle it. I know when, and I say no to people all the time. And, you know, sometimes they're disappointed, but I also know that there are other people who can do this as well. And so I I just can't internalize that. When I know when I go there and I'm there for a family, I'm 100% there for them. Because as soon as you come in and you're feeling pressured and resentment, that's when it starts to come out of you. So you have to be okay with, with setting those boundaries and knowing that who you are is primary. And this is only sort of a secondary facet to that. Do you exercise? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. And that was, you know, before I had kids, I was, you know, focused on work and blah, 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 going full bore. And then after I had the kids, you know, the focus was on the kids. And I finally was like, look, I gotta, I gotta start taking care of myself. And so now I'm a spin junkie um, and I get cranky when I don't get to do it, but it is my time and I don't let. That's That's just so inspiring. When do you do that? In the morning, in the evening, when do you make that time for yourself? I am a morning person. So I usually try and get it in the morning so I don't have to worry about it for for the rest of the day. But it is, you feel guilty when you're a parent. Yes. I'm like, oh, you know, I really need to get this done. I want to volunteer in the kids' room Mm -hmm. and da-da-da. And it's been a real, it's sort of like the mind switch for me was realizing that taking care of myself allows me to be a better caregiver to others and getting that that's a real true thing. I owe it to them to do this for myself. (laughs) I'd love to hear this. I just, intellectually, it makes so much sense. But I I really, I I know lots of people struggle with this. I really struggle with that. I, every day I feel like I've, I've been given X hours to do things. And I typically want to do, you know, and I definitely come last. Although some would argue that the things that I do are, you know, the long game, you know, not 
putting me like you know they are for quote unquote me at the end but not really I mean I just feel like if I make the choice to go to yoga for an hour and a half a day that's an hour and a half less a day that I could spend you know obviously with my daughter face to face but you know getting you know thinking about cool new lunches I can make her and organizing her closet and you know and and you know what I mean whatever whatever it just feels like that's what I should be doing and not going to yoga but I I'm glad to hear that you I need to thank you that was I need to hear you say that I need to know that that's what people actually do when they're being healthy and taking care of their their life in a meaningful way it's very interesting because when you get to that point where you can step back and look at things with some perspective I guess you would say I'm in a much more selfish place now using that and I don't think I know I know what you mean I know what you mean I'm in a selfish place now in terms of I work less I made I cut back my kids activities like I just don't have time to take you to 17 different after school things right now I go to the gym and I you know I, I do that rather than going into the classroom five days a week but I am so much happier and the kids are happier and when I was you know the selfless person who worked 50 hours a week and was always available uh, I was a lot more miserable and and so were the kids you know it was just brutal and so the lessons what are the lessons that we're teaching our daughters that you are expected to sacrifice everything for someone else or that you are worth taking care of yourself and I want her to grow up knowing that and I want my son to grow up knowing that he better support his wife and help out in the kitchen you know, stuff yeah. like that. So it's also about the role modeling. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm totally crying. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I cannot, I'm crying. I, um, yeah, who it is. It's Do who it. we Go are. to yoga. Yeah, Go who to we yoga. are is who our daughters will be. And it's our responsibility to create strong and resilient and, and powerful women. And I think, you know, part of that recipe, sorry, I cannot believe I'm crying. Part of that recipe is about teaching and modeling self-care. And uh, well. And I, here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm sorry, this is going to make you, this, this may or may not make you cry some more, but I think it's important. So okay. I sort of went through this maybe two, three years ago and kind of made that change. And it was scary. It's always very scary. Quit my full-time job, went to part-time, did all this stuff. And we moved, which was also very, very stressful. And we moved, we ended up being a little bit closer to my family, which was nice because I hadn't been seeing them that much. And so the last couple of years, I've been working on the hospice. You know, I have been building all these things together. I spent a lot more time with with my mom. And, and you know, she passed mm-hmm. away in, in June. And I'm still here. You know, I, I don't know that I could have managed that whole situation being the person that I was a couple years ago. So the strength and resilience that you built, like you're going to need it and you won't know why until it's already there. So you got to kind of start putting that in the bank now because life's going to happen and there's going to be points where it really sucks. But it gives you this foundation that we all need because you all know what happens. I mean, when you go through that stuff and you're in a bad place, like it gets ugly, you know, things fall it apart. And, it does. They and you do. Don't, so this is all, it all feeds into the same system. And you yeah. really, I mean, here's what, again, this goes back. Thank you for sharing all of that amazing stuff, Jessica. I really, it means a lot to me. I love that we've, I just really love this conversation in general, but I think it's very apropos of everything. And I find, again, this is that circling back and kind of 
a summation on, on who you are as it relates to this particular conversation, but I think in general, this authenticity piece that I keep seeing in you and, you know, that I keep hearing you, uh, that keeps resonating around you. And this self-care piece is exactly in line with, I mean, it's in such strong alignment with what you are, what you are doing for your clients and what you are teaching pet sitters and other veterinarians. It's all really about just, it's all about care and it's all about self-care and it's all about awareness and you're living it every day and you're demonstrating and you're modeling it. And you're just a really powerful, beautiful person. Powerful, beautiful person. If people wanted to get a hold of you and uh, and learn more about you, can you just do you want to share? You know your website. We'll have, by the way, we'll have all of your information on the page, the Pets yeah. Mean Business page. I couldn't get it out. We'll have all that information for Boston <laughs> Degrees and Paul Curious. So we'll have all of that there. But would you mind just giving out your email address right now? Yeah. So my email address is drvdrv at pawcurious.com. Okay, and that's the best place to reach you. Okay, so your other websites are, of course, pawcurious.com. And then for the book, how would people find the book, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, my, that's okay. Uh, my book is called All Dogs Go to Kevin, and it's available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. And you can read more about that at drjessicavogelsang.com. Wonderful. Okay. And then, of course, there's all the social media places to find you, both on my website and also on your on your website. And, uh, and certainly easy email. to find. Yeah, you're easy to find. You <laughs> actually are pretty easy to find. You're making, because you know why? You make yourself available. And that's really clear. Jessica, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing your stories and and teaching me and teaching and hopefully everyone who's listening is hearing your message. And it's just, uh, it's been a really great show. I've really enjoyed this time with you. I'm not surprised by that at all. And I think that you're great. And I'm so glad that you're, I'm so glad I know you. I'm so glad that the industry has you. I'm so glad that you are doing what you're doing and that you're so secure in it and that you're doing it so brilliantly. So thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you. You're so welcome. All right, guys. So thanks for joining Jessica and I talking about, let's see, death, spin class, kids. (laughs) We did a whole bunch of cool stuff. So, you know, that's just what this, that's just what happens when a good person opens themselves up. You get lots of good stuff that comes from it. So, all right, guys, uh, this is Jamie McDonald, your host on Pets Mean Business on Pet Life Radio Network. We will see you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Go pet your dogs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.